Who's this guy? My name is Mark Weber, and uh, I'm a friend with Warren. I hope that helps. Uh, I got to know Warren in a class over at Lincoln Christian University with Wayne Shaw. I'm guessing some of you know him. And then I saw Warren at Wayne Shaw's funeral just a couple of weeks ago, and he was looking good. And I want to commend you for giving him a sabbatical. Um, Ministry can be hard at times, it really can, and he, I know he's going to come back refreshed and renewed. Uh, I live in Mount Pulaski. I just retired from there two years ago, Mount Pulaski Christian Church, after 10 years of ministry, and now I'm working down at uh, Mawikwa First Christian Church on a part-time basis, drive down there two or three times a week and thoroughly enjoying it. It is nice not being the senior minister. It's just amazing how much less stress it is. So, uh, so I, I want to commend you again for the sabbatical you gave to Warren. My wife, Ellen, is down here on the front row. We have been married 11 years. We're 32 years old. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, actually, we, uh, this is our second marriage. Both of our spouses uh, we're lost to cancer, and then uh, so we've been blessed uh, with a second marriage, and that's a little bit of our story. Core 52 is what you are going through, and I read the chapter for today on love, and uh, Core 52 is really good, and if you're not into that, I would really encourage you. It's really got some good stuff. It's, it's not overburdensome or anything. You read a few pages and it really is, really is good. Anyway, love. I typed in the word love on my computer a while back. And of course, you get a gazillion hits on, uh, on the word love. And there was one that caught my attention called the love calculator. I don't know if you've heard this, but you put in two names and it calculates the chances of you making it with this person. So uh, I put in Mark and Ellen, just see what our chances are. Came back and said, we had a 46% chance of making it. That was not encouraging. So I read it again, and it said, oh, you're supposed to put in the full name, first and last name. So I put in Mark Weber and Ellen Weber, and with the same last name, surely it'll go up. Came back and said, Mark Weber and Ellen Weber have a 39% chance of making it. And here's what it said, the chance of a relationship working out between Mark Weber and Ellen Weber is not very good, but a relationship is very well possible if, I did this, by the way, after we got married. So anyway, if, it says a relationship is possible if the two of you really want it to and are prepared to make some sacrifices for it. You'll have to spend a lot of quality time together. Well, that's pretty good advice. However, you must be aware of the fact that this relationship might not work out at all, no matter how much time you invest in it. That's a bummer. Now, I don't know how you do that. Just put two names in and come up with these percentages. It's, of course, just a gag type of thing. So today, I think we'll look at a little better resource for love. What's God have to say about it? And here's the first thing. Love is a basic need. Okay? Babies who are not cuddled and held fail to thrive. We know that. Children that grow up unloved are at a huge disadvantage. And it's a need we never outgrow. People who feel not loved, who, who are emotionally isolated, are more prone to depression, anxiety, loneliness, low self-esteem, substance abuse, sexual addiction, difficulties eating and sleeping. And we've seen a lot of this this past year with COVID. There's an academic journal believe it or not, called the Journal of Happiness Studies, which only in America. And it publishes studies using tools of research to identify what makes human life thrive. And when researchers look at what distinguishes 
quite happy people from less happy people. There's one factor consistently that separates the two groups, and it's not money, it's not health, it's not security or attractiveness or career success. What distinguishes consistently happy people from less happy people is the presence of, you know, relationships, rich, joy-producing, life-changing, meaningful love. The first fruit of the Spirit is, of course, love. Do you know what the second one is? Joy, yeah. It's not an accident that love is first and joy is second because they go together. If you don't have love, you're probably not going to have a lot of joy. John 15, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then in verse 11, the very next verse after that, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Again, love and joy. Now, here's some really good news. If you smoke, overeat, have high blood pressure, do not exercise, and do not eat the right foods, I've got some good news for you. People who have bad health habits but are connected to others, in other words, have good relationships, live longer than people with good health habits and poor relationships. Isn't that amazing? So love with a Big Mac is healthier... Then love and non-love and broccoli. So guys, tell your wives what I tell Ellen. Forget the veggies, just love me. Right? John said, anyone who does not love remains in death. You know, he didn't mean that physically, but actually, there's some truth to that. And of course, it's also true spiritually. The more we live in isolation, the more likely we are to be discouraged, give in to temptation, be self-absorbed, spend money in selfish ways. We just need loving relationships. Here's another thing about love. It is multifaceted. Now, this comes out in your Core 52 uh, uh, chapter this week. We know the English language is impoverished when it comes to words for love. I mean, love has such a wide, broad range of meanings. You know, we say meanings. I love you. I love pizza. I love my kids. I love my friends. I love America. I love my wife. My wife loves Brad Pitt. I love chocolate. I love my dog. I love country music. I love to preach. I love to golf. I love to win. I love to eat, and on and on. On the radio a couple of weeks ago, Ellen and I just heard someone call into a doctor show and said, I love my CPAC. Well, I guess if you have sleep apnea, you do. And some have questioned whether... One word that can apply to both God and pizza can really illuminate us much on what love is really about. And so we know there are different Greek words for love. There's friendship love, romantic love, family love. Again, that's in your core 52. We know that love can be affection. It can be a feeling. It can be hormones. But today, let's see what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this right at weddings. It's a great passage, but the context has nothing to do with weddings. It is actually in the context of a church that is fighting. They're in conflict. And they're in conflict over all, of all things, the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 are about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Corinthians had the gifts of the Spirit. They had tongues and prophecies and healing, special knowledge, all from the Spirit. But Paul, in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, says, And now I'm going to show you the excellent way. And here it is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not love, 
I gain nothing. He begins with the priority of love. The Corinthians were talented. They were gifted. They were richer than most churches. They were blessed by God, which made me think, on a scale of zero to ten, zero being not blessed at all and ten being off the charts blessed, where's this church? Are, are you blessed? Yeah, you're a blessed church. I mean, if I know anything about uh, what I've heard about this church, Warren and Michael both, I, they're, they're great, great people. You've got some good leadership here. You are blessed. You're off the charts blessed. But Corinthians were also the most problematic of churches. They were blessed, but they had problems, big problems. The tongues people were trying to make others feel inferior to them. Tongues without love encourages pride. It's often, it can be divisive. It doesn't have to be. Some had knowledge. Now, it might be miraculous prophetic knowledge. It might be theological knowledge. Maybe it's academic, even PhD-type knowledge, which are, which are all good, but without love, knowledge is nothing. Some of them had great faith, but faith without love is empty. If I'm generous and giving and sacrificial, but I have not love, that's no good. And Paul's not saying tongues are bad. He's certainly not saying knowledge, faith, and giving are bad. He's just showing the excellent way to exercise these gifts. If love is your aim, you will not use your gifts and abilities for personal gratification. You will not flaunt your gifts. You will not think you are better than others. One paraphrase would be, no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. It has to be a priority. Then going on, verse 4. This is the part that's often read at weddings. Love is patient, is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I'm calling this the proof of love. How do I know if I love someone? I say, Ellen, I love you. How does she know that? Because I say it, well, she likes to hear it, of course, and it's a good thing to say. Is it by how I feel about her? Is it the goosebump? Is it my attraction to her? I like how she looks or how she smells. That's all okay. But here the proof of love is not feeling or attraction or hormones or smell. Our culture conveys that love is some abstract, mystical, powerful force like a magnet I'm drawn to to you. You know, it's kind of like magic. You know, I just can't help it. I fell in love. Wikipedia's first line on the definition of love says, Love is an emotion of strong affection and personal attachment. And that is one aspect But these items in 1 Corinthians 13 are behaviors. It doesn't say that love is a feeling of kindness. It's kindness. And it's not feeling patient. It's actually being patient. So love is an action. God's love for us isn't just the feeling he has. It's an action he does. There's a preacher who was dating a woman. This is not me and Ellen, by the way. And when it came time to propose to her... By the way, we preachers are not real creative when it comes to proposals. Uh, Don't ask Ellen. Anyway, here we go. This other preacher said to her, I'm not sure I love you, but will you marry me? (laughs) And when I heard that, I thought, wow. I mean, ladies, what do you say? Here's what she said. I'm not sure I love you, but yes, I will marry you. Most people say, you're crazy. You don't know if you love him, but you're still going to marry this guy? Maybe, I'm not sure, but maybe they both realized the foundation of love is not romance. The foundation is really a decision and an act of the will. That's why cultures with arranged marriages 
actually do better than ours. 1 John 3 says, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word and speech, but in truth and what? Action. Talk's cheap. Be kind. Be patient. Several women were visiting an elderly woman, and uh, she was very ill. And after a while, they rose to leave and said, Now, Esther, we'll keep you in our prayers. The ailing woman said, Just wash the dishes. I can do my own praying. And you know, sometimes love is washing the dishes. You know, on Facebook, everybody's, Oh, I'll be praying for you, I'll be praying for you. Yeah. Maybe love is a little bit more than that. This list in 4 through 7 is really a list of what the Corinthians were not. Love is kind, the Corinthians were not kind. Now the word actually carries the idea of generosity, and the Corinthians were not generous. At their fellowship dinners, the rich ate all the food before the poor could get there. I mean, ironically, they were called love feast. They were actually selfish feast. Love is not envious. The Corinthians were jealous of the more talented members. The Corinthians were proud, boastful, rude, self-seeking, the exact opposite of this list. They had all kinds of evidence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was alive and well among them, doing miracles, healings, and tongues. In one sense, the Spirit was alive and well them. They had knowledge. They were very alive. They had the gifts, but they really didn't have much of the fruit. So Paul asked, what is love? And he's saying, basically, love is to behave the opposite way you're behaving. It's not irritable or easily angered and doesn't keep record of wrongs like you're doing. There's a soldier in Afghanistan that received a Dear John letter from his girlfriend back in the States. And to add insult to injury, she wrote and said, Will you please return my favorite photograph of myself? I need it for my engagement picture in the local newspaper. Ouch. Of course, the guy was devastated. But all the other soldiers came to his rescue. They went throughout the camp and collected pictures of all the guy's girlfriends, filled up the entire shoebox and sent it to the girl with a note and said, please find your picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. (laughs) I love that story. Oh, you're a lifesaver. It's allergy season for me. Anyway, I love that story, but you know what? It's not love. Love does not retaliate. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. It's tough, but that's love. Here's another thing about that we see in these three verses here. Love is other-directed. We're called to live a life of concern for the well-being of others. You know, the golden rule, think. Uh, a very simple definition I heard about love years and years ago. I think I was about 20 years old. Love is wanting the best for other people. It's pretty simple. The whole story of the Bible is God's relentless, other-directed love. There's a book called Letters to an Unborn Child, and the author, David Ireland, writes letters to the unborn child in his wife's womb because he knew he may never see that child. He was dying of a crippling neurological disease. And he can hardly do anything for himself. And he wrote in one of his letters to his unborn child, Your mother is very special. Few few men know what it's like to receive love as such as I have. When we go out for dinner, 
It means she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the ramp, open the garage and put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car and drive off to the restaurant. And when we get to the restaurant, it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the door, wheels me into the restaurant, takes the pedals off the wheelchair. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out out to the car again, and reverses the same routine. And when it's over and finished, and when we're home, with real warmth, she'll say, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. And David says, I never know quite how to answer. So they're directed. Do unto others as what? Yeah, you'd have them do to you. Here's another aspect of love. Toward those we don't like. Jesus, Jesus just bugs me. I got a sermon called Jesus Bugs Me, This I Know. (laughs) You read Jesus, he just... Here it is, here. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I can't do that. Not without God's help. I cannot. Numerous studies have been done on what causes us to like someone. And the number one factor out of all the causes, you know, we think physical attractiveness, IQ, ability, personality type, you know, like values, whatever. The number one factor that determines whether or not you will like another person. Drum roll time, okay? What is it? The number one factor that determines whether or not you will like another person is whether or not they like you. If they like you, you will probably like them. If they don't like you, you probably will have a harder time liking them. It's a tit-for-tat principle. And one application of Jesus' teaching is love those who don't like you. And that's tough. That's exactly what God did for us. And he said, you'll be children of your Father in heaven. He loved us while we were still in rebellion. He didn't, we didn't like him, but he loved us. And the thing about loving those that don't like us, it may not turn out the way we hope it will. Loving and praying for our enemies is not a strategy that will turn them into friends. Love is the last thing our enemies probably want from us, and treating them that way may make them even madder. The enemies that Jesus prayed for and loved killed him. So we do it because we are followers of Jesus. Is love hard? Man, we call it a choice, an act of the will, a decision, it's other-directed. We're to love those who don't like us. But then I think when Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them, was that hard? Most of us would say, boy, I don't think I could do that. But let me suggest that what would have been hard for Jesus was to hang on the cross and curse his enemies. 
and spew forth vileness and evil on everyone. That would have been hard for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was God and was filled with the love of God. He was permeated with it. You ask that woman if it was hard for her to love her dying husband and to take him to the restaurant. I'm guessing she, well, yeah, I guess it was hard, and yet she was so permeated in her love for her husband. It was an act of love that was really probably not that hard. And when we are permeated with God and the Holy Spirit living in us, this God of love, it becomes part of who we are. And that's the next thing. God's love is self-originating, and that should be the goal for us. When a man says, I love you to a woman, at least in part, he usually finds something about the woman lovable. At least some of his love is elicited by the object of his love. But God's love does not originate with our loveliness. God loves the world, not because it's so lovely, but only because God is love. That's who he is. And this list does not say, here in Corinthians, love is patient with those who are easy to be patient with. No, love is patient, period. It's me. It's who I am. It doesn't say love is kind to those who are easy to be kind to. It says love is kind, period. It's part of who I am. And that woman who loved her husband is just who she was. We don't depend on the loveliness of the other person. A teenage girl wrote to Ann Landers. Now, there's a name from the past. (laughs) You've got to be a certain age. She was an advice columnist. And uh, this teenage girl wrote, I have a horrible problem and hope you can help me. I'm 17 and I'm in love with a guy that makes me sick. <laughs> Serious. This has been going on since my birthday in May when he took me out to dinner in a nice restaurant. I got nauseated at the table, forced myself to eat anyway, and then had to go throw up. Ever since that time, I try to avoid eating with him, but when I can't get out of it, I always end up vomiting. In love with someone who makes you sick? God so loved the world, and I'm sure at times the world makes him sick. Jesus told one church he wanted to vomit them out. But he loves that church. It's who he is. But there's another side, another aspect to God's love. It sees the value in others. I used to have an attitude that we should love others with an in spite of love, never with a because of love. You know, I love you in spite of your flaws and uh, in spite of your, you know, whatever. And there's some truth to that, but who wants to be on the receiving end of that? It's like the other person has no value. You know, I'm going to hold my nose and love you anyway. It is an act of the will, but it's more than that. It also sees the value in that other person. See, God sees the value in us. We may make him sick at times, but he sees our value, and God's Spirit living in us will help us see the value in others, and in ourselves, of course, as well. So love is really multifaceted. Let's go on to verse 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. When, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Prophecies going to pass away. Tongues going to cease. Knowledge is going to be gone. I think it's talking about supernatural reception of knowledge. 
Those are all imperfect. They're, they're, imp- they're partial. But when the perfect comes, they will be abolished. It, it's really contrast between now and the future, the church age and the age to come. He's talking about the permanence of love. We've had the priority of love, the proof of love, and now the permanence. The spiritual gifts that the Corinthians had will not be a part of heaven, but love will. He's not devaluating their gifts. He's just trying to put them in perspective. Spiritual gifts are appropriate for the present age. It's kind of like children who have certain behaviors that are appropriate for children, but the child grows up and those behaviors no longer fit. And when we reach heaven, these gifts will no longer fit. Only love lasts. Even faith and hope do not measure up to the greatness of love. Are there any dog people here? Any of you love dogs? Okay, I'm going to speak your language here. I read about an elderly woman who was trying to recover from a stroke. Her brain was damaged and her arm was so weak uh, that the therapist had to think of something creative. And instead of having to go through monotonous exercises and all that and you know stuff like that, she brought her a dog. And she would tell this lady, throw the frisbee. And the dog would go and chase the frisbee across the room and then bring it back. And, of course, the dog's always got this great attitude. And throw the frisbee, it'd come back. And this woman did not know. She was really working that arm very, very hard. And the nurse knew that part of the recovery was the attitude of the dog. Now, some dogs can be mean, but generally, there's nothing more selfless, loyal, patient, or loving than a dog. Mistreat it and it comes back to you anyway. Ignore it and never gives up hope that you'll be its friend again. Make it wait days to go play and it will be ready. It offers you friendship and companionship and in return only ask for food, water, and occasional scratch behind the ears. And I don't think it's an accident that God made dogs. If dogs were like people, they would eventually give up on us, but they don't. A dog's love is almost impossible to destroy because it's not a love you earn. It's simply a love you are given. In other words, dogs love unconditionally. Unending patience, faithfulness to the end. Do you suppose that God made dogs to show us something about himself? Do you think maybe man's best friend is really pointing us to who's truly our best friend? Is it a coincidence the word dog turned around is... God. You can learn a lot about God from a dog and about love. And the neat thing, what we'd say, well, that's just the way dogs are. Self-originating. It's not that we're such wonderful masters. That's just the way God made them. And that's what Jesus wants in us, that love is just part of who we are. People need this. You have people coming here that want to connect. They need to connect. And you know the best way to bring them in is to like them. Pay attention, reach out, show them patience, kindness, perseverance. Show them Jesus. It's the best evangelistic tool we have. And then finally, the the ability to love is both a gift and a task. It's something that we do, but it's something that God has to give us. Romans 5.5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. It's a fruit of the Spirit that God gives to us. But then 1 Corinthians 14.1 says pursue love. And that's the paradox. It is a gift, it's a fruit, but it also requires hard work. So is it hard? Yeah. But the more the Spirit permeates our lives, the more it becomes a part of who we are and becomes more of a natural outcome of our lives. Let's pray.
Lord, first we thank you for loving us in unimaginable ways. And I pray that we too will be filled with that kind of love. And we'll be kind, patient, enduring, not easily angered, not self-seeking, always persevering. Thank you for the ultimate gift of love, which is Jesus. And as we imagine him hanging on a cross for this world and for us, how can we not respond with love? Amen.